Welcome to Gold Diggers, a podcast on strategy, goals, and growth. We'll cover all sorts of topics on OKRs, KPIs, strategy, and everything in between. Gold Diggers is brought to you by Purdue, a powerful gold management platform that helps organizations bridge the strategy execution gap. Use Purdue to increase transparency, alignment, and accountability, and simply head over to purdue.com to sign up for your very own free account. That is P-E-R-D-O-O.com. I'm Henrik, founder and CEO of Purdue. I'm the host of today's episode, and joining me today is Christina Wodke. Christina, many people know you from your wonderful book, Radical Focus, which is now on to its second edition. In my view, the book offers a great and very digestible introduction to OKR. Um, for those who do not know you, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey with OKR? <laughs> um, so right now I'm working as a, uh, I'm a lecturer at Stanford. Um, so right now I, I do a lot of teaching, but I was in industry for a really long time before that. So I worked at LinkedIn and Yahoo and MySpace and Zynga. And Zynga was a John Doerr company, and that's why we were using OKRs as well. And so um, when I quit Zynga, I was pretty burned out and pretty tired. And I thought, you know, uh, I'll, I'll consult a bit, right? You know, help some startups. And this is Sterling, by the way. He's going to interrupt us occasionally. I'll hear him <laughs> meowing in the background. Um, so I decided, well, you know, these, these startups are really messed up. Maybe I should... Uh, introduced them to OKRs. And it just made such a difference in um, their ability to get their heads straight and pointed in the right direction and get everybody on the team aligned. And so um, I decided I didn't really love consulting, but I did love what OKRs did for people. So I decided to write a book. And I thought, oh my God, I'm writing a book about an acronym. This is a terrible idea. So I thought, how can I make this interesting and help people understand it? And I ended up uh, writing a, a, a fable, you know, a simple story made up of um, some real folks that I had helped, uh, combining them. So to protect the innocent, as they say, and put out the book and people really enjoy it and love it. Um, the Using a fable turned out to be surprisingly effective because I've had people talk about other things they've learned from, like how to fire, how to handle conflict. You know, there's something about an illustration, um, a sort of case study, if you would, a fictional case study that that really helps people get their head around what OKRs can really do and why they're useful. And your latest book is called The Team That Managed Itself, um, yes. which yes. I'd love to talk a bit more uh, oh, about yeah. during, uh, during this episode. Um, in that book, you write a lot about consciously designing and maintaining empowered, high-performing teams. What is your definition of a high-performing, empowered team? Well, empowered means that uh, the company is using OKRs and OKRs, of course, set a goal. And then once you set those OKRs, an empowered team is a team that says, these are the results we'd like to see, right? We'd like to see these outcomes because the key results are not projects. They're business metrics that you would like to achieve. And so then the team says, okay, if we want to say, improve customer retention, what are we going to do? And it's the team itself who runs lots of experiments in a lean approach. It's the team itself that really figures out what's working, what's not working, learns and decides when there's uh, something that's worth launching to create a more effective uh, product. So high performing means they get results and empowered means they do it by themselves. I guess it's the simplest version of the story. Um, and it's a really 
hard thing for a lot of companies to do. But as Marty Kagan um, points out, it is something that is incredibly effective when you make it happen. So empowering is a lot about creating autonomy in your organization. Yes. I mean, an empowered team has to have everything they need to make shit happen. Excuse my language. Um, <clears throat> so they, they really, um, they have to have design and product and engineering. They have to have their own resources. Maybe it's okay to have marketing somewhere else. And then they're given a problem. I mean, the first time I experienced this was actually at LinkedIn, way before OKRs or empowered teams, people talked about it. You know, I, I was hired by Reed Hoffman and Reed said, we know events are important, but we don't know how, so go figure it out. And that was amazing. Yeah. You know, I had to actually understand the event business. I had to go out there. I had to do a lot of customer interviews and customer development. Um, it was, I'd never been completely empowered in that way. And it was amazing. And then later when I've worked at other companies, I just have to say that the results that I got as an individual, you know, that sense of trust and it made me really passionate, made me want to work long hours. It flipped around when I was a manager because it meant that I had more time to spend thinking about strategy. You know, I could say here team, this is something that needs to happen. Go figure it out. And if you've hired well um, and you've created psychological safety, then they just go figure things out. And it frees up a lot of my time to do, uh, what I would think is more critical work at that level. You, you, would, you would think though that, that every organization would strive, right? To ensure that its teams are performing well. Yeah. So why is that so hard? Like what do organizations get wrong when they design their teams? <laughs> well, first of all, they almost never design their teams. You know, I mean, think about the last team you were on in a company, you probably were kind of thrown together and then they hired someone and some of the people who are left over from the old boss, you know, there isn't a lot of thought about how do we take care of the whole gestalt of the team as opposed to hiring a bunch of A players maybe and throwing them together. You have to think about the personalities, the culture. People have to figure out how are we going to talk to each other? How are we going to disagree? What happens when um, I think you've just said something stupid? You know, do I just say that was lame or do I like spend some time talking it through? Um, so you need to set norms, which is an agreement about how we'll treat each other. And you have to revisit it because as you add more people, the team's going to change. So come, why don't companies do it? Let me think. It's, it, is, it is kind of hard because sometimes companies don't have a lot of faith in their talent. I work with CEOs who say, well, you know, it'd be nice if we had Silicon Valley talent, but, you know, uh, we got these people in Ohio or, you know, and the reality is they're often really, really, really smart. They may not have as much information as we have at the information firehose of the Silicon Valley, but they're really smart people. So if you can just spend some time with them and be patient enough to grow them, you can take a place where you're like, there's no great talent and grow your own. It's not like there's only idiots in Ohio, right? Um, no. So I think it's really important to, if you can't hire for experience, and sometimes you can't, you have to hire for intelligence, um, both emotional intelligence and classical intelligence. Somebody has to be able to know how to work well with people, as well as um, have some raw intelligence where they can learn really, really fast. And that's uh, the most important part about intelligence is can you learn quickly? So when you're designing your team, maybe you just need one really experienced person and that rest can be raw talent, or you can build a team of raw talent, but then you're personally gonna have to spend some time with them. 
but you can't micromanage them because then they don't grow. They don't think by giving them problems and challenges. That's how they become that a player that you're dreaming of. It's a hard for a company to do that. It's really hard for managers to let go. It's hard for managers to believe if you don't know something yesterday, you won't, will you know it tomorrow? Well, hopefully you will, you know, it's hard for managers to let go. I mean, the pandemic, the hardest thing on managers were, I can't watch you and see what you're doing all day. You know, a lot of people were kind of forced <laughs> into allowing autonomy because yeah. they didn't really have a lot of choice, right? <laughs> but but it but it starts with consciously designing your teams, right? Because at the start you mentioned that well, most people, most organizations don't design their teams at all. Yeah. Um, so so that that conscious process of 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 designing empowered teams. I mean, you touched in the beginning on on, on OKRs and on goals that they should be working on, which I guess through goals you can create more autonomy, right? Yes. And, 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 yeah. and I think goals have the ability to take you away from micromanagement. Trust is important. You said, how should we, how should we respond to each other? What are the norms that we need to put in place? Yep. So, so you, you put together a framework the in the roles. book, right? Yep. The framework is yeah. pretty simple. Um, it came, so I came out of a combination of working with companies who are having a hard time with OKRs and it's because they didn't have these empowered teams and yeah. trying to figure out what does it really take to make it. And so I, I came across, um, uh, in the literature, you know, the, the business literature, which has been around forever, um, that you need goals, roles, and norms. So goals are clearly stated you know, things that the team is all aiming for together. That's very easily OKRs. I was like, okay, that's easy. Norms. Norms means that when we enter into a team, we all have these unspoken assumptions about how things should work, right? Like some people think interrupting is fine because they grew up in a New York Italian family, perhaps <clears throat> use the old stereotype. Other people yeah. are, are really upset and hurt when they're interrupted, like, you know, most of us out here in California. Um, and... It's like, is it okay or is it not okay? But there's all sorts of other things. Like, do we all argue and then the boss decides or do we come to a consensus and then present it to the boss? There's just so many things here. I always recommend um, the culture map by Aaron Meyer to really think about all these stresses that people have. So by getting together and saying, here's how we're gonna be together, it just takes it from unspoken, which creates conflict to spoken, which creates agreement. And then roles, you know, we all have these roles like you're the engineer and you're the designer and you're the product manager. Well, what comes with those roles? Do you make the final decisions or are you more of a, a, an informer with expertise? But the thing I think is really sneaky is there's all these roles that aren't assigned that slide by us. Like who's going to take notes at a meeting? And this is one of those things that often falls to a woman or a person of color because there's an unconscious lowering of status when people look at a woman or a person of color and therefore they give sort of the tasky stuff. And you don't want that because it's gonna create resentment and anger over time. So instead you have to kind of define what are the various roles people have to have? Who's gonna run the meeting and who's gonna take the notes and then rotate them through the whole team because it'll grow um, a stronger team that really relies on each other. But, but, so a role is not a job description, but there's different situations with your team where people have to play different different roles. Did I interpret that correctly? Yes. Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely the job description part, but then there's a whole other layer of your role within the team. That's what I really want to think about. Okay. Okay. And and how, how do values come into play? Like, is values, are these the norms or is that completely separate? I mean, <sighs> values. I don't talk about 
it a lot in the book, but I am a deep believer in understanding values. There are 12 universal values um, that uh, I can't remember his name right now, but this wonderful psychologist uh, put together after doing a lot of research across cultures. But there's all these other smaller ones that you see, like uh, somebody believes in autonomy or very passionate about protecting privacy. And so um, those values often come out in both the roles and the goals and the norms because your values inform everything. And so it can be useful if you have a team that's not working well together to clarify what are our values in this particular area. And I like the universal values because it's a good jumping off spot, but there's other works like, uh, you know, value by design that talks a little bit more about using values to clarify ethics and business technology. And uh, yeah, value setting is useful, definitely. I love that book, by the way, that you referenced just now, The Culture Map. Uh, we have a very diverse oh, team at do, and we made, yeah, we made it a mandatory thing to read just to make sure that all the different cultures were actually able to understand each other and, and, and prevent any yeah. issues following that. Well, you're European, so yeah, you have to. Well. <laughs> Um, if we zoom a little bit deeper into working with these goals as a team, um, what, what sh and goals and, and also performance of a team, because we're talking about high performing teams here, what is the process yes. of, of grading goals and should poor goal performance, uh, for example, have consequences or, uh, or if, like have, have poor performance, but you could also turn that around, of course, it like, should grade performance uh, on working on certain goals, should that automatically lead to a promotion, for example? No, I mean, this is, this is sort of a classic problem, which is we tend to lionize um, the people who bring in the huge business results, but we don't always look at how are they affecting the business altogether, right? Like maybe they're bringing in a lot of cash and that's like, woo, that's so awesome. We love money. But um, what if they're a complete asshole and everybody else is working at 20% of their potential because this other person just taking all the air out of the room, right? And we've all met people like yeah. that. They get good numbers and then they become, once again, I apologize for the language, uh, dick swingers. You know, they're in there and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm so cool. I'm so pretty. A <laughs> little bit like thrift shop, you know? <laughs> um and it, 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 you can't let that happen because you're very excited about this one performer's superpowers, but you don't realize that he's like a vampire and he sucked out everybody else's superpowers. Um, you want to make sure that the team is what you lionize and the team is responsible for the performance of the goals. Um, does it affect performance management? I think in the way that it should affect performance management is were you working on the things you were supposed to? Were you uh, picking the right activities? Were you contributing to the final successes? Uh, were you learning and getting better all the time? You know, I always recommend um, to people when they're doing their performance review, consider the job they were hired for, right? Um, there's all these daily things you have to do. If you're a manager, you're doing your one-on-ones yeah. and giving feedback yeah. and coordinating. But then also think about um, the goals that the person is contributing to. As a manager, I want to make sure that these business metrics are being moved. So when you look at that, you're saying, did this person keep their eye on the ball? Did they do what they could to make it really happen? Why did the metrics not happen? Was it an external force that you couldn't possibly foresee? Or was it just you sucked, right? And there's a big difference between those two. And I, you know, people get pissy 
like, wow, that's really hard. I have to do a lot of thinking, but come on, that's your job. Like there's nothing more important than the people in your company, especially in a digital company. If you're a digital company, your people are the company, right? So spending that extra time to make sure you're getting things like performance reviews right is time well spent. You'll get loyalty. These people are learning. You don't want them to take all that learning off to your competitor, do you? So. No, I agree. But and, and also the reason I asked the question, I mean, being a, being a goal management platform, being an OKR software, uh, we get asked that question a lot or we get that request a lot. Right. And for us, the question is always, do we or do we not build uh, performance reviews as a feature into our product? And for most of our clients, they, they already have an HR and HRIS software yeah. like Workday, SuccessFactors, Bembo HR, Personio. And these tools typically already allow you to to track performance reviews, yeah. they don't always look as nice or have the greatest UX. But um, what do you think? What do you think? Just just out of curiosity, what, what do you think? Like, should we build that into the product, or do you believe you should keep that separate? I would prefer to keep it separate. However, how can I put this? Um, I think all <laughs> software is a point of view that's been frozen into code, and in order to shift that point of view, you know, you have to change the functionality or whatnot. So that means right now you have a piece of software that reflects what I think is your very excellent um, understanding of how OKRs and goal management works. If you felt very strongly that you had a way to do performance management that made sense, then you could extend your product. And if there was a lot of demand, and of course you'd wanna do some experiments and see if people would actually use it, because it's possible you'd build it and they've already got monday.com and they never switch over, they'd never, pay for that. And that would be a waste of time. So should you do it? I don't know. You're working lean, I hope. Run some experiments, <laughs> see if it makes sense for you. And if it doesn't make yeah. sense, don't do it. Because just because people are asking for it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. No, totally. Uh, totally. Um, going, back to the, going back to the topic, going back to the teams. Um, uh, what's your number one piece of advice that you'd give to to those organizations that after listening to this podcast decide like you're totally right we should be more conscious about designing our teams and we want to be designing empowered high performing teams what would you what's your top recommendation my top recommendation is try to remember that human resources are human beings that these are people and people are going to be complicated they don't work like abstract things you know like uh, a human being has multiple talents they have a personality, they have a culture, they have a background, they have insights. And so when you're putting together a team, you really got to think about who are these people and are they the right people to work together? It's kind of a big duh, but it isn't really done. There's something about drawing an org chart that turns every human being into a box with a line going to it. And people are more complicated yeah. than that. Yeah. Then you have to find the right manager, maybe, you know, because you want somebody who's going to treat them like people and not like... These are idiots I have to micromanage, you know. Management is an important skill that not enough managers have. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I t it's also typically the only career path that most organizations still offer today, right? Like you do a good job in a team and the, ne the only next step is for you to become a manager, whether you want that or not, or whether that fits you or not. Oh yeah, the IC path, everybody should have, the individual contributor path. Like there's a point where you wanna make more money, have a better title, and you yeah. shouldn't have to manage people if you suck at it just to get enough money to buy a house. Yeah, totally agree. Well, you do see more organizations nowadays offering like a leadership or management track and then also like an expert track where you can just 
get deeper and better into uh, uh, into what you do. Thanks a lot for sharing your thoughts with us today, uh, Christina. It was a pleasure talking to you again. Uh, I would recommend everybody to definitely read your book. Uh, we put a link to your latest book uh, uh, where you can yeah. learn everything about designing consciously um, empowered and high-performing teams. So we put a link to that book in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know, if your OKRs aren't working, team that manages itself probably has some of the answers that you're looking for to make it happen. And if you're not using OKRs, this might be a better way to start with them is actually think about the entire team and the entire system. And how can I get what I really want, which is fantastic business results and happy employees. I'm, I'm guessing most of our audience is already working with OKRs, but if you're listening and you're not, then I would definitely recommend reading Christina's book, Radical Focus. And uh, I've just learned <laughs> at the start of this podcast that we have a second edition coming out soon. It's out now. You can buy it at your local bookstore. Woo. Perfect. Thanks for tuning in. Are you keen on learning more about strategy, goals, and growth? Then head over to our resources hub for a ton of insightful content at purdue.com forward slash resources.